Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're going to give you the chance to meet one of Austin's newest city council members, Vanessa Fuentes. If you've listened to our show before, you've probably already heard me talk on and on about how important it is to get to know your local elected officials. But the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I've seen firsthand how being knowledgeable about who these people are can really make you a stronger advocate and bring about real change in our community. So in a minute, we're going to listen in on an interview I recorded with Councilmember Fuentes in mid-July. Just a quick note on that timing. We do talk about some of the city's budget process, which should be wrapping up August 11th to the 13th when city council officially votes on next year's budget. We also talk about everything from what the heck a city council member actually does all day to what we can do about the crazy rising housing costs in Austin and how you can share your ideas and opinions with city council and make sure they actually get heard. Okay, so let's go ahead and give that interview a listen. Okay, I am here with council member Vanessa Fuentes, and um, we're going to be talking all about city council today. I'm really excited to be able to chat with you. You're one of our newer city council members, and uh, we're going to talk all about what it's like to be a council member and some of the stuff you're working on. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me, Amy, and thank you, Austin Common, for all that you're doing in our community to inform Austinites and engage and educate. I appreciate everything that y'all are doing. Yeah, definitely. And so kind of along those lines, what I want to do is, you know, recognize that I think a lot of folks, maybe they see city council in the news headlines or hear about, you know, every once in a while things that are happening, but they don't really know that much about sometimes the people or what it's like to be a council member. You represent District 2. Um, First, maybe let's orient people. Where is District 2? What's the part of Austin that you represent? Sure. So District 2 is primarily... East Austin. It's south of Ben White, east of 35. So we're talking about the Dove Springs neighborhood, the Dell Valley neighborhood. We also have newer areas like Goodnight Ranch and Easton Park. Um, And then I do represent a little bit west of 35 from Stasny on down to Slaughter with South First being our western boundary. And some of the neighborhoods on that side of the district include Dipmar, Pleasant Hill, and Sweetbriar. Right. And so you're one of 10 city council members plus the mayor um, that serve there at City Hall in downtown Austin. I thought it'd be fun to start. Now, obviously, you've had quite things have been really crazy because City Hall hasn't really been city council hasn't been meeting in person because of COVID. Um, but what is a, you know, a typical day like in the life of a city council member? What, what do you do? You have a staff and a team that helps you, right? Kind of walk people through a little bit of like what a day might be like. Yes, we have a small but mighty team. I have a team of four. So we have a constituent relations liaison, we have a chief of staff, a policy director, and a communications director. And a typical day for us usually starts out with a team huddle, especially on a Monday. We'll meet for an hour and we'll go over my calendar for the week, um, go over any constituent cases that have popped up that need a special attention, and then also go over our uh, communication, social media strategy. You know, a lot of what I do is uh, dependent upon how I'm able to communicate to my district about what's going on, um, you know, what city council is deliberating on and how I'm working for them. And so uh, we are a hardworking office. Our days are jam packed. You know, there's kind of a a joke going on right now saying council is on a six week vacation, which I always think that who goes on a six week vacation? That's a really nice gig if you can take six weeks off of work. Uh, But that's simply not the case. It's not the reality. And in fact, for me being a new uh, freshman, so to speak, on the dais, uh, we've been hard at work. Council's about to enter into a budget season. So a lot of our meetings uh, throughout the day are with uh, city staff, uh, departmental staff, talking about budget requests and budget priorities, also meeting with stakeholders. Um, And that kind of rounds out my day. And I will say uh, for me, you know, constituent relations is priority. You know, I've been elected to serve the people of District 2 and and of Austin. So uh, on Fridays, I have time carved out where I do follow up calls with constituents who may have reached out to the office just to check in. Um, Also make it a point to follow up on any outstanding items that we have um, pending before council. And that's 
I have that dedicated space so that you know, regardless of what's going on throughout the week, I know that I'm going to have time to have that personal outreach with the community that has elected me. Yeah. And so you mentioned, just to clarify for folks, the six-week vacation, that just means there's not a city council meeting for six weeks, but obviously you're still, I can see you're probably in your office right now <laughs> doing yeah. some work and things like that. So there's no council meeting, but city council is still working on things. Um, right. Okay. And then I want to talk a little bit more about that constituent relations. Cause I think this is another thing that's confusing for people. Like what is the interaction that a city council member has with the public? Um, what are the kinds of things that people call your office or contact your office about? Like, what do you find yourself generally working on? If you could maybe give a few examples, even if they're not specific, but yeah, no, a lot of the requests that come in are related to our streets, you know, people wanting potholes fixed and repaired, um, sidewalk connectivity, also questions about when is the library going to reopen, you know, in our in our district. Um, and so sometimes we'll get um, requests that come in for a neighbor who wants to have a speed bump installed on their neighborhood street because they have kids in the area. Um, so a lot of little things like that come in and there is a process and we often find ourselves having to communicate, you know, this is the city process and all the different ways we have to engage and inform and put the request in. Um, and so that's why I appreciate the Austin Common, because oftentimes uh, we are the first line of communication that someone has interacting with any governmental entity. And so I always want to make sure that we are informing and educating on the process because so much can feel out of our hands, but it's mostly because it's it's a government city of Austin's a government and it has its own system in place. And so we have to ensure that we're educating on what that system is, but then also identifying opportunities to tweak and to improve. And that's where you know where council comes in and providing that policy direction on how we should best run our city. Right. And just to clarify that for folks. Obviously, it's not you and your office's job to be in charge of the city streets. We have professional staff <laughs> that do that at the city of Austin, but it seems like what you can really do is be a bit of a liaison and an advocate for people in your district and walk them through because you are more visible, obviously, than you know the city transit department or transportation department. People might not know about that. Um, and then city council is the one that's setting the high level policy. So maybe deciding, well, we need more sidewalks in general. A lot of people are calling about sidewalks. Maybe we need to invest more money in sidewalks or something like that. That would be more city council's realm versus, you know, the immediate, you're not installing the sidewalks or what have you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Because sometimes people do think that we have that direct control, that direct authority, and that's simply not the case. Um, but we can make sure that the needs of our community are being vocalized and amplified throughout the process. Okay. And so to talk a little bit more about city council's roles and responsibilities, you talked some about constituent services. Um, another big part that's visible that people see is obviously city council meetings. And um, oftentimes, you know, many times throughout the year, talk about a Talk a little bit about a city council meeting and what you do at it and what kind of prep goes into that meeting. Cause they can last just all day long. I imagine there it's an exhausting day for you all. <laughs> it is, you know, on a typical agenda, we have over a hundred different items that are presented from departmental staff um, that need approval and, or from our colleagues in terms of, you know, driving direction on certain priority areas for the community. And so it is a lot of work, a lot of time goes into preparing to, for a council meeting. So city council usually meets every other week I mean, on a biweekly basis. And so on Tuesday, we'll have a work session. And then on Thursday, we'll have the council meeting. And um, what my office does is that we prepare, the agenda gets released at least a week in advance, or actually it's two weeks in advance, and then they'll do an addendum right before and we go over the agenda and we look at each item. Someone from my team will be reviewing the backup material, uh, myself included. And we decide from there if we have questions that we, we're gonna ask staff. And we try to get our questions addressed before we get to the dais, because can you imagine if, if all of the items got pulled for discussion, we truly would be there 24 hours. Um, and so by the time we get to, to council meeting and by the time we get through work session, which is before the council meeting, a lot of the questions have been worked through and worked out. Um, so the discussion you see the day of are truly 
um, conversations where there is, um, you know, there might be a difference in approach and how we do that certain policy, um, or there might be some lingering questions that we need more detail on. And so it is a lot of work. You know, if you think about city of Austin, the topics range from sidewalks and streets to, um, to your utility bill, to Austin water, uh, to the airport. I mean, we have a, enterprises within um, the city of Austin that we have authority over. And so the conversations can um, be varied and diverse, and but definitely needed. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about you for a minute. This is your first year on city council. You were just elected in November. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want to share, you know, I feel like a lot of our listeners and are people who are trying to get more engaged in their community and figuring out what's a good way to do that. And of course, not everyone's going to fully run for office, but I know that you have done a lot of other community-minded things before you got to where you are today. So maybe can you give us a little background, like what brought you into this role? What kind of things were you working on the community that made you think, you know what, I'm, I'm ready for a run. I'm ready to, to serve my community in this bigger way. Well, you know, definitely there are many different ways to engage and serve our community. Um, Elected office is one way, but before I was in elected office, I served in different capacities. I led an organization called the Young Women's Alliance, which is an Austin-based, Austin-founded young women's professional development organization. And that was instrumental for me in understanding, you know, what more we can be doing to empower young professionals uh, especially not only on their career ladder, but also just from a personal development lens. Um, I also was involved in uh, several groups, including the Hispanic Women's Network. And uh, my day job was through the American Heart Association, where we did um, issue-based policy campaigns. So some of the work that I did actually was what led me to run for office was rooted around health equities. We were advocating around grocery store access, around um, you know, keeping our PE classes strong and making sure they're part of a school curriculum so that kids had access to physical activity um, all the way through expanding access to healthcare and ensuring that everyone um, had high quality health insurance and health availability. And so those things really kind of parlayed into my run for office. And it was the health disparities that we have here at Austin was why I chose to run. Um, But real quick, I will say, if you're looking to get involved, the city of Austin has tons of boards and commissions, over 40 of them. And I highly recommend you checking them out if you're interested in serving, because that is an advisory group that gives um, recommendation to city council on certain policies to pursue and to consider. So if you're passionate about animal rights or women's rights or healthcare, there are all these different commissions that you can plug into and lend your voice. And so that was one type of of service. And certainly um, the needs in our community are great and there are many opportunities to get involved. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that you pointed that out. I mean, we're always trying to uh, advocate for people to be aware of those boards and commissions because they really are a good tool if you're someone that is thinking about wanting to get more involved or potentially mulling over run for office one day. I'm sure it's a good way to learn how the city actually works and, and gain some experience. And I, I wonder uh, for you, Vanessa, you know what it's like now, like being on the other end now as the council member the interaction with boards and commissions, because I think one thing that people are always concerned about when they um, interact with government is like, is anyone listening or (laughs) are we just doing this for show? Like, can you talk a little bit about what it's like as a council member um, interacting with those boards and commission members? Oh, yeah. Well, I my office values the recommendations that come from our boards and commissions. We look at each recommendation that is given. We review them. We consider them. Um, because when you think about it, those are all volunteers who are giving up, you know, their precious time uh, to lend their expertise. And so I certainly want to make sure that um, their recommendations are noticed and that there's value in what they are recommending. Um, and I, for my board and commission appointees, I truly see them as the district to community leadership team. Um, we held a virtual meet and greet in April and we keep them on my newsletter list. So they are constantly aware of what's going on in the district and we have that direct access. So if there's a, um, an issue, for example, after the winter storm happened, 
Uh, I made sure to reach out to my appointees, to uh, the electric commission and um, water to see like, okay, what do you think? Like, what, are, what are your thoughts about this? Uh, what can city council be doing at this time? And I found their council to be very um, valuable and beneficial throughout that time. Yeah. And so for folks who are considering being a border commission member, um, if they live in your district and are interested at some point in applying, what what's good advice or recommendation? I know some different council members do things differently. Obviously, there's an online application, but I know oftentimes it can be helpful if they contact their elected official as well. Yes, right on. Definitely reach out to the council office that has a vacant appointment. If if they are your council member, even better. Certainly, I think my colleagues and I try to prioritize individuals who live within our own districts first. Um, but if you see a vacancy and it's the mayor's appointment or someone else, just reach out to their office and attach your resume and your interest in that commissioner board and, and share why you're interested. And certainly that will help make sure that you're application is thoroughly considered. Great. Um, I, now I, I want to talk a little bit about your first year so far, which isn't even finished, but it's been crazy. <laughs> and there's been so much going on. I, I can't imagine what it's like to start this position during the pandemic. And then we also had the winter storm on top of all of our other issues and, and things going on in the city of Austin. Um, I, uh, I guess, I guess first let's start with the pandemic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit about what that's been for you? Everything has been virtual. It seems like maybe things are about to come back in, in person again, but how was it like starting off in this role in this kind of unusual space? Yeah, for me, it definitely, you know, taking office in midst of a global pandemic, um, certainly made the stakes even clearer. You know, I knew right away that I would be leading in times of crisis and in an emergency. So um, that lens really led me to kind of hit the ground running and drawing attention to the disparities that we were seeing, even in just um, vaccine access and where we were standing at our um, our drive-throughs. And we, let me tell you, here we are seven months later, and it is still one of our priorities because I represent. Uh, the least vaccinated zip code in Travis County, our Del Valley community, has the lowest rate. I think last time I checked uh, a week and a half ago, we were at 38%. And overall, as a county, we're at 70% with first dose. Um, so there is a significant, there's still significant vaccine hesitancy, especially in, in my community. So that remains a priority. So yeah, it was one thing taking office in the pandemic and then you throw in a winter storm and it certainly, I felt that I had just been thrown into <laughs> to public service, um, but it was challenging in that I had to learn, I was learning a new system. I mean, it was a new workplace at a you know, meet, you know, new individuals and also get to know my colleagues. Um, But, you know, I'm very thankful for the colleagues that I do have and the hardworking staff at City of Austin, because, you know, we really riled riled together and coalesced together and, um, and we're able to see our community through it. It was definitely bumpy uh, throughout it, but we got through it. And uh, if anything, it's just has made it even more apparent for me on what I need to be doing in service to our district two community. Yeah. I want to talk more about that health access and, and equity issues. I know that has been something that's been a priority for you. Um, even before you got elected, like you mentioned, and you know, the district you represent, um, healthy food access has long been a concern there. And I've, I've talked to neighbors in the Del Valley area who have been advocating for grocery store and food access for a long time. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you're approaching that issue? You know, I know it's a big priority for you as city council member, that health equity and and food access in particular, what do you, what have you been working on, um, since you've been elected on that? Yeah, you know, first, I just want to draw attention to the fact that we do have food deserts in Travis County, and those food deserts are east of 35, and it really stems to systemic inequities that we face here in Austin, um, which results for us to have not only food deserts, but also a medical desert. We don't have a full-service hospital east of 35, um, and then we have significant um, rates of chronic illness in our communities of color. And so it's all interconnected. So some of the work that I've been doing around food access include advocating uh, for increased funding during the when council deliberated on the American Rescue Plan Act dollars. That's a federal 
um, program uh, that injected federal relief into our community. And so we were able to get uh, 3 million dedicated to address food insecurity here in Austin. As part of that, we're gonna create a regional food system plan. Uh, we're also gonna have a targeted emergency uh, food distribution program in times of emergency, uh, one that's focused in our Eastern Crescent. Uh, and excitingly, what I'm most thrilled about is that we also take the next step in exploring the creation of a grocery store co-op. Um, and that's key because you know we can't, we're very limited in what we can do to incentivize retailers to go into areas that are food deserts and open up shop. Uh, for many in my community, we're still waiting on HEB to break ground. <laughs> um, but you know, when the market isn't moving fast enough, that's when government has an obligation to step in to fill a critical need. And so by exploring a grocery store co-op model, uh, we've also engaged Travis County partners as well. Uh, we will get um, started on a pathway that could be a very viable alternative for us. So lots of good work are, are still being done. And as we deliberate on our own budget through the city of Austin budget process, I'll still keep a close eye on what else we can be doing when it comes to food access. Yeah, when you talk about emergency food distribution, I know that was a huge issue, obviously, in the winter storm. We're hit, the, hit with this compounding problem of, you know, many people because of loss of work and, and a whole host of other issues in the pandemic were already pretty food insecure. And then um, there was just that physical limitation all of a sudden with the, the winter storm. And obviously a lot of Austin neighbors stepped up and helped each other, but I think it was something that revealed, it made a lot of Austinites step back and say, whoa, like maybe we need to make sure we have real systems in place that we don't have to invent on the fly, um, to make sure everyone in our community has access to food and water and heat. <laughs> Right. Yes. And that's actually um, one of the policy priorities that my colleague, Councilmember Tobo, led on is the creation of resilience hubs and having them um, within the community so that in times of disaster, the community knows, you know, this is the location that we'll go to uh, when there is a disaster, but also building in that infrastructure. So knowing okay, who are going to be the people that we tap to provide information um, and that's one thing that we learned uh, during the winter storm is that how reliant we are on online communication and disseminating information online. Um, but for many, and especially in my district, we still are grappling with the digital divide. So we can't just solely rely on online communications. We do have to have those offline approaches and touches as far as getting out information. Um, and so that conversation around the creation of community resilience hubs is one um, that we're going to continue throughout the budget process and certainly, you know, look out for more information as we um, develop what they'll look like and where they'll be located. Right. And so you keep mentioning the budget. I definitely want to talk about that. That's a, you know, one of the biggest things the city council has to do each and every year here um, is set our city's budget for the next year. And, and people who are listening might remember last year, we had a very controversial uh, budget process and a lot of decisions were made about public safety. And there was actually very high community engagement, despite the fact that all of these meetings were he held on Zoom and people waited for like hours and hours on hold in order to talk to city council member. Um, now we're going to be starting a new budget process pretty much right now. Spencer, our, our city manager, released a draft and now city council is is in on it. <laughs> now all of you. So can, let's talk about the process, I guess, really quick. So the city manager releases a draft um, with the staff and then it's released to the public. So the public's able to look at it and share their ideas. And then of course it's shared with you all as a city council member. And so what are you and your team doing right now in this stage? Um, how do you, what do you look for in the budget and what's the next steps for you all? Yeah. So certainly we're looking at the budget through a lens of how are we ensuring that um, we are doing right by our community and that the Austinites of today have a place in the Austin of tomorrow. You know, just recognizing that we are a growing city and with that growth um, comes, uh, you know, many are susceptible and vulnerable to displacement. So the lens that I'm using when it comes to this budget cycle is how are we investing in displacement prevention strategies to help our community um, you know, affordability remains a significant issue. It was an issue on the campaign and it is still an issue that Austinites are grappling with. I'm sure we all have stories of friends or family members who are trying to afford a home and they're not able to given um, the market conditions. And so 
Um, that's one of the lenses that I'm using. I'm also looking at it through the lens of, okay, how can we invest more on the health side? So uh, one of my priorities is increasing our community health workers and developing a framework for community health workers who I think are gonna be well positioned um, to in times of disaster to disseminate information to the communities that they're in. Um, and they're also gonna be that liaison and helping us get information out on preventative services that are available and just resources in general. Um, and the community health workers, I, I will say, actually came out of a recommendation from the Reimagining Public Safety Task Force. And you mentioned how last year's um, budget conversation was dominated by the reimagining of public safety. And so there was a community task force that was formed and one of their recommendations was investing in community health workers. Um, so of course, you're gonna see a lot more conversation on public safety. We wanna make sure that we're compliant with the new uh, state law changes that were passed by the Texas legislature. Um, and, um, and also looking at public safety, you know, we know we need more boots on the ground, but you know, what kind of boots do we have? And so I wanna ensure that our EMS department is properly staffed as well, and that we have more um, attention and resources to our EMS services. We had a, a, a gun shooting just a few weeks ago, downtown Austin. And so that, you know, the need um, to respond to the rise in gun violence is one that many communities are having to grapple with throughout the nation. So I wanna make sure that we're appropriately staffing our EMS department as well. Yeah, I want to break down a few of the things you just mentioned there. So community health workers, this is something that, as you mentioned, um, has gained more traction and more popularity in the past year. What does a community health worker do? Why, um, why do we feel like that could be a good strategy for Austin? Yeah, so community health workers are licensed professionals who will be uniquely positioned in targeted communities. And they'll get to know their neighbors, they'll get to know the needs of that particular community and connect individual to resources that are available, not only with City of Austin, but you know, with Central Health, Travis County. We really need um, ambassadors and slash liaisons out there that are connecting folks to um, the right resources. And that's kind of often what I've found in my short tenure on council is that City of Austin is doing a lot of great work. We have a lot of great programs and we're leading in a lot of different ways, um, but not everyone in our community knows about it. They don't mm -hmm. know about the, the resources and programs available. So we have to do a better job of putting that information out there. And it can't just simply be, you know, putting a webpage online and expecting people to find it. Um, and so having these community health workers will allow um, individuals who best know the community, know how to connect them to resources, and then also um, provide uh, advice and counsel on any type of preventative health needs that are, are needed. And so, you know, it's just one way for us to um, invest in a more holistic way of doing public health and one that I think will really help us address the significant health disparities that we have. Yeah, I remember talking with someone, I think from Austin Public Health a few months ago, and they had talked about using these community health workers, for example, during the pandemic in order to connect with their neighbors they knew in affordable housing uh, developments and make sure people had food and that they were, you know, had transportation to medical visits if they needed it and things like that, um, which was just something that someone you're kind of familiar with can do, especially in the pandemic, you're not going to have some random city official come knock on your door or what have you. It seems like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bringing more, making people more comfortable and bringing in the community aspect a bit more. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So that was community health workers. Another thing you mentioned was public safety. Obviously this was the huge topic of conversation in our last budget cycle. I want to touch on something you mentioned, which is the new state law. Um, so this might be confusing or not something that people know about if they haven't been following the Texas legislature very carefully. Um, what does that state law do or say, and how does it impact Austin and kind of this upcoming budget cycle? Yeah, it will have a significant impact on how we are able to allocate our, our budget. Um, it does mandate that cities go back to a previous staffing, uh, not to me, a previous funding level and so with that, what we have seen, um, and so for a previous funding level for us is going back to the 2019 funding level. For um, our police department. For our police department specifically. 
And so, and you all may recall that part of the reimagining public safety here in Austin included decoupling some of the divisions within the police department. So that included um, moving the forensics lab out to um, an independent, you know, division, um, as well as um, our 911 call center, uh, which we're leading the nation in having our um, our responders and you know ask if it's a mental health emergency. Um, so yes, they moved that division out from the police department. And so those were a couple of the decoupling items. But what the state law does is that we're going to have to move those back in to the police department and ensure that we're funding our police department to the level that we were in 2019. Um, and so the city managers proposed budget uh, proposal includes those changes. So we're going to be compliant with state law. Uh, we, right, you know, with the proposed budget, we'll have the highest paid police department in the state. Um, and we'll also be able to fund uh, two new cadet academies. And that's the other thing to know is that part of that reimagining public safety um, council decided at that time to take a pause on the cadet academy and review the curriculum, really looking at how we train our police officers uh, and switching from a warrior mentality to a guardian mentality and how we do community policing. And uh, right now we're going through a pilot academy. So we're going to be able to assess, you know, how those changes are being received um, and if that will make uh, systemic changes that we've uh, been looking at and, and what the community has truly called for. Um, so the funding that's being proposed does include funding for more cadets as well. And so, you know, you mentioned that that task force, that reimagining public safety task force made up of residents, you know, Austinites, a lot of them who had been working on these issues for years and had been working this past year on so really big, you know, uh, reforms. And like you mentioned, um, decoupling some of these departments, still providing the services, but not having it be under the banner of APD. And, you know, I can just imagine it, it's hard enough to get people to engage with the city and participate in this work and going through the process of being on that task force and giving their recommendations and some of them ha happening and then getting pulled back. And, and I wonder, you know, how obviously that was a Texas legislature decision, but as a city council member, how do you move forward on this? It feels like a huge setback maybe for those those people who had been really engaged in this and, and given a lot of their time and energy to make this change. Um, where do we go from here or how do you kind of communicate with the public and with people who really push for this and are now seeing that roll back a bit? Are there other ways we can be creative and do other things? I, I don't know, just what's the message? It feels like very deflating. Yeah, you know, I, th I think you're right in that communicating and informing our community is going to be key. And so we'll certainly be having that conversation and engaging our communities on the changes that we will have to undertake because it is a state mandate. And so we are constrained in how we're able um, to do our municipal budget. And um, that is the reality of it. And, you know, elections have consequences. And for me, if anything is taught me uh, just how much of a microscope we are under here at city council as the capital city, you know, what the changes we bring forth are very, um, you know, the risk is that we'll have the state legislature just up the street, come in and preempt us. Um, and so we have to be uh, more strategic and mindful in how we go about our policies, never losing sight of our values, you know, what our value are, values are as a community. We cannot um, let those go, but we need to be um, more mindful in how we go about it for sure. Um, so part of the conversation that we'll be having is, you know, looking at how can we get creative with the changes um, that we've made in our, our police reform. And so um, even though we'll have to put the forensics lab and the call center, you know, within Austin Police Department, we still want to ensure that they have the autonomy um, and the independence to carry out the work that we're doing. And so we'll have more deliberations on what exactly that can look like while still being compliant with state law. Uh, but certainly that is, you know, um, I guess the politics of being a policymaker is one way to put it. Yeah. Do you think it's still possible for our city to continue our process of reimagining public safety and be compliant with the state law? Do you think there's a way to, to do both? Yes, you know, in fact, the city, um, so it's part of the reimagining, I think at least it was 23 million um, 
of that of last year's budget cycle was reinvested in different forms of public safety. Those reinvestment strategies uh, will continue and are part of the proposed budget. So we are seeing um, that work and you know understanding that there are multiple ways that you can invest in uh, in public safety. So that part is still continuing. So for the task force that was assembled and that gave recommendations. Um, you know, there will be recommendations that we'll be able to move forward from what they uh, proposed. They did propose quite a bit, um, but one of them that I'm super excited about is um, not only the community health workers, but also doing a pilot on a guaranteed income. Um, and so we as a council passed a resolution back at the end of May that asked the city manager to come back with information on how we could do such a pilot. Um, and so I'm excited to see if and how we're able to carry that policy forward. Right. And so some of those other reinvestments, correct me if I'm wrong, but might have included things like I know we were just um, announced like a new family violence shelter. And I know there was some work around um, like an office of gun violence prevention or something along those lines. So those were some of those things that we have invested money in and will continue to that's right. To do. Yes. And we just, uh, I believe that we just named our officer for the gun violence prevention office. Um, so that work is still continuing. Okay. Um, and then the last thing kind of budget wise that you mentioned, it's on everyone's mind, is this affordability and housing? You know, this has been an issue that's plagued Austin for a long, long time. And city council, well before you joined, has debated all different ways of how can we provide more affordable housing and you know, it just seems like the, especially right now that it's, it's gotten worse. Like it, it just keeps growing and growing and, and it feels pretty overwhelming, I think, to a lot of folks. And I guess I want, I, I want you to kind of break it down or explain a little more for people. What, like, what can city council do here? <laughs> Cause it seems unclear. Like what, what, what roles do we have? Like, can we build more affordable housing as a city? Can we pass a code that allows you to build more housing? Can we get creative? Can we have programs? Like, what are some of the options on the table that we could even be thinking about doing? Yes. Well, Amy, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Updating our land development code is one strategy and certainly one that's needed. The last time we did a, an update, a comprehensive update to the land development code was before I was born. So in the early 80s. Um, so that is certainly it's well past time to have that conversation again, um, although it will be contentious, I imagine. Um, but another strategy and one that our community has invested in is through the passage of Project Connect. Um, 300 million is earmarked for anti-displacement strategies. And so with that, that'll allow us to uh, acquire land. So do land acquisition, and especially in areas that we know are, are gentrifying and or at risk of gentrifying um, and causing displacement. So having the city go in and purchase the land and then utilize that land to do income restricted affordable housing um, either in partnership with a nonprofit developer or, you know, some other entity. We have really great nonprofit entities like the Guadalupe Neighborhood um, Development Corporation. It's, it's a state model on how to do neighborhood housing. Um, it'll allow us that flexibility. And that 300 million is huge. It's the largest amount that we've ever allocated as a city um, to, to do affordable housing. Um, and just in 2018, we had a $250 million affordable housing bond. Um, so th there's a lot of resources that we have uh, to inject into our community to ensure that we're being proactive. Um, but I'm of the mindset that we need to do a lot more. I mean, this growth is very rapid and certainly we need to be um, acting quickly um, given the market conditions. And so uh, land banking, um, looking at uh, outreach programs and how we inform our community about the programs and resources that are available is gonna be huge. Um, when we talk about affordability, affordability, something big that city council did at our previous council meeting as we voted to increase the homestead exemption uh, to the full 20% and also uh, we did a senior's homestead exemption. And so that's going to give people a little bit of property tax relief. Um, and so those are some of the strategies that we can do, but um, so much more can be done. And I truly believe that Austin can be a leader in this area. And I want us to be a leader. I'm determined for us to be a leader in, um, in anti-displacement, ensuring that Austin um, is affordable for everyone. Um, but it is going to take 
um, a lot of dedicated effort and work. Yeah. I just want to quickly define a few, two of the terms you just mentioned for folks. One is the homestead exemption. And my understanding there is city council increased it to the for, to 20%, which is, I think is the full amount allowed by state law. And what does that mean? Just like in simple terms, what does a homestead exemption do? For yeah, a so it takes the, for homeowners, it takes 20% off of, off of your evaluation um, that from what you get taxed on. So if you have a $350,000 house, you'll take 20% off of that. And then you only get taxed at whatever is the remaining um, value of your home. Once you decrease that 20%. So it's a way to do some tax relief. Um, and we were, we had not gone to the full 20%. Um, so it was significant for us to go to the cap. Right. And so the idea here obviously is like a lot of people's property values have increased at least that (laughs) in the past year. And so you're able to, uh, accommodate, you know, help out a little bit with that, uh, crazy increase in our, in a lot of people's property values. Yes. Um, okay. And then the other one really quick is land development code. I'm sure we'll be doing, uh, episodes on this in the future, maybe a little history recap for people who are newer to the city and aren't as familiar, but just very briefly, what is a land development code? Why is that a a potential tool for, um, increasing affordable housing in a city? Yeah. The land development code is our guiding document and how we're able to build and shape our city. So to determine, uh, the type of housing, um, where you can do certain types of of housing and the height of housing. And it's just such a critical piece of city planning. You know, a lot of uh, what city council works on is zoning cases. And we have a land development code that constricts how and where we're able to do housing and build housing. Uh, It it impacts our affordability. And so if we really want to get serious about addressing affordability here in Austin, we have to look at our land development code and figure out ways for us to create a more compact, connected city. Um, You know, and for my district, I represent Southeast Austin. That used to be more of a suburb of Austin, although now it's like fully integrated um, given the growth. Um, It's certainly, you know, we're dealing with the lack of infrastructure. And so looking at how can we have a land development code that really provides for that growth and plans for um, that growth. And so there are many multitudes of ways that the land development code um, is important. And I hope that we can revisit that conversation soon. Yeah. And and so running through all the issues city council has been dealing with, we talked about public safety and the budget and health. Um, I want to touch on homelessness um, as well. This is an issue that everyone in Austin has been following pretty closely and um, we've done a lot of episodes on it but I'm wondering if you can just give people maybe just a brief update kind of on where we are as a city obviously we had the pass the passage of prop B but in addition to that I know city council has recently committed to making some really big investments in coordination with you know not the nonprofit and business sector kind of where do you see us heading with homelessness and and trying to come up with some real solutions maybe if you can highlight a few a few key things city council has worked on in the past few months that you feel like are are pushing us in the right direction sure well one key thing is that we have a plan you know that plan was formulated by the community coupled with um, not only members from the community but also individuals from the philanthropic sector, from the business sector and government. Uh, So it's important for us to have that guiding vision and that plan. And that plan consists of rehousing 3000 individuals within three years. It is a very ambitious plan, but it is what we need, especially with the reinstatement of the citywide camping ban. And we did have a state law um, passed that will go in effect in September that will do a statewide camping ban. Um, so the most pressing thing that city council is dealing with right now is um, where can our unhoused individuals go, knowing that we um, are doing a phased implementation of the camping ban. Um, I think we have until August, mid-August before it's completely fully reinstated. Um, so the clock is ticking. Um, and as part of that urgency, city council recently voted to allocate over a hundred million dollars into our homelessness response. So that's going to include um, housing. It's going to include expanding uh, temporary shelter. It's going to include investments in those wraparound services and so making sure that our unhoused neighbors have access to um, 
you know, social workers and uh, case counselors to help with trauma, addiction, and mental health services, as well as job training. So we really are investing in a holistic approach. Um, and we're calling upon our community, uh, including Travis County, to also join us in that effort because it is gonna, it's going to take a lot of investment. But if we don't invest now, then we're just doing ourselves and our in-house community at the service because we're not we have to ask ourselves in a day, where will they be able to go? And so that, that's kind of the guiding question that we have going on right now. Um, the ultimate goal is to provide housing with services and that's what we're investing in, but we really need, um, you know, other entities and other partners to come in and, and join us in that effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like we're in this place right now in Austin. Why, well, obviously we have a crisis and, but we're, we're at a place where perhaps it's, it's something, if we act now, we can, we can really stop it in its tracks a bit and, and, and get control of it before it grows into a, a really, really huge, huge crisis that we, we would have a very, a much more difficult time um, dealing with. Um, so it, it seems like we're, the steps are, are coming. And um, if people want to get more engaged in what's happening, obviously they can follow along with city council. And then um, there's lots of other nonprofit groups that are working on this issue as well. So lots of ways for people to get engaged there. That's right. Um, speaking of engagement, I want to talk about how people can get involved in your office. Um, you mentioned before communications being really important to you. Um, as someone who is a communicator, I appreciate that greatly. I love your office's social media feeds. Um, I think that's so key for people to be able to engage with their elected officials and in a real way. Um, what, what advice or recommendations do you have for people who, you know, maybe live in district two, want to get more involved in city council or what you all are working on? How can they connect with you all, stay up to date? What are some good action items people can do? Yes. Well, number one, join our newsletter. We send out a weekly newsletter every Thursday that has all of our engagement opportunities, all of our volunteer opportunities, and just general updates on what we're working on at city council. And you can sign up for my newsletter at my website, VanessaFuentes.com. Um, also follow me on social media, Vanessa for ATX on Twitter and Instagram uh, and on Facebook. And there's, we post a lot of information. Uh, we are having a community cleanup conversation later this month on July 31st. We're going to be at Franklin Park neighborhood and doing a park and uh, neighborhood cleanup. And uh, I laugh because originally when I pitched this to my team, I said, okay, how about we call it trash talks with Vanessa. <laughs> and they were like, okay, maybe not trash talk. Um, and so we're calling it community cleanup conversation. <laughs> nice. So you can join us for that. And then we'll be doing some back to school activities next month in the district. Um, but just follow, follow along online or the, via the newsletter. There's lots of ways to plug in, to plug in. And I am all about community. So please know that if you're interested in interning or if you just want to you know serve on a board or commission reach out to our office it's district two at austintexas.gov and we'll be more than happy to assist yeah and i was going to ask too just in general if people um want to reach out to your office say they you're about to make a really big vote and they want to share their opinion what's the best way for them to do that like what can they expect should they message you on social media? So they send an email, should they give a phone call? Do you have a preference? Like what's the best communication tool? For our office and every office does it a little bit differently, but email is a strong way. We keep tally, you know, on the big issues. I do ask my staff to track all of the emails that come in so that we have a good gauge of what the sentiment is of the district. Um, But we are a super accessible office. So know that we are here to accept whatever feedback you have on whatever platform. We get um, requests through our Facebook Messenger, Instagram, I mean, you name it. So wherever you can find me, please feel free to reach out. Uh, My team is on it. I have an incredible hardworking team who are truly in this role because they wanna serve our community. Um, So feel free to reach out on whichever platform that you would like. Great. And so before we close, I just wanna, I don't know, pull back a bit and, and take it, you know, take a bigger look at it as someone who, again, you're um, a newer city council member and uh, came into this with a lot of community experience. And I guess I wonder, you know, what's your overall philosophy or, or approach to this, this role? And, you know, obviously you are having an impact already do working in the nonprofit world and, and things like that. Like what made you feel like, 
I'm, I'm ready to be a council member and I feel like I can do more here. And kind of how do you uh, allow that to guide you? Because, you know, it just feels like there's a thousand issues that pop up every day in Austin. It's a big city. There's a lot going on. We're changing really fast. And I think there's a lot of anxieties around that as well. Like what, how do you keep yourself focused and, and grounded in that? I mean, I think for me, it's just making sure that when an individual has an interaction with my office, that I want them to have a positive, smooth experience. I mean, I take very seriously that we are in the business of serving the community, of serving the public. And I want folks to have trust in that their government is here for them and that we are represented and part of that system and can see ourselves reflected in that system. Um, What I love about the job that I have is that it's all about solving problems. Like it can be small things about making sure, you know, an individual's trash gets picked up on time all the way to addressing systemic changes. And so that's going to, that of course takes lots of work, lots of um, political will and consensus building. Um, But that's what makes our, my work so dynamic and so rewarding is that um, the changes that we are making here at city council truly make a difference in someone's everyday life. And that type of impact is incredible. And so I take very seriously this honor and privilege. You know, I was raised in a small town called Brady, which is population 5,000. <laughs> and so every day that I get to represent Austin, I think my lucky star is to think that, you know, Austin took a chance on this small town girl uh, who's made Austin her home. Um, and so I want to do, I want to do right by our community. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's our show for today. Um, Oh, but one more quick thing. At the end of that interview, Vanessa did mention a community cleanup event that has already passed. But be sure to follow Vanessa and the Austin Common on social media, as we'll both be sharing future events like these that you can get involved with. Okay, the Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership with the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about The Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based right here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of KOOP's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. This show is hosted by me, Amy Stansberry, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this. If you do like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really does help us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. And a final thank you to the Tiara Girls, the amazing local band whose music you hear at the start and end of this podcast. You can listen to their music on Spotify or follow them on Instagram at Tiara Girl Band. And that's our show. Thank you. <laughs>